Well, adding schools to your conference from the group of five level is not the best available option, but sometimes it's the only one and does present more upside than downside. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. Bunch of news to react to today and some questions to posit. And we'll get to the Washington State thing later in uh, the show with all the financials there. But First, and this is uh, a question, by the way, sent in by MB on YouTube, just just those two letters, which, you know, hey, whatever floats your boat, you can always be a part of the mailbag. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12 DMs and mentions wide open, always down for some respectful engagement in there. MB asks, are long term plays a wise investment for the ACC pack and big 12? Everyone knows realignment is coming very soon. What good does it do to bank on San Diego State and SMU improving their national brand on our behalf? So I've seen and had this conversation a number of times with with some of you who, you know, phrase it in such a way that I think is true, which is it's not the way that realignment is going. It's not what, you know, you think of, of a power move or an advantageous move. But when you are backed into a corner, sometimes you aren't left with a whole heck of a lot of options, right? If a boxer gets backed into a corner, he might instinctually throw a shot below the belt or something, right? Or if you don't have any other options, you are going to be left with one, which may not be something that you want to do, may not be the best course of action, but might be the only one that you have. So when you're talking about the prospect of adding these two schools, do they immediately make the Pac-12 more competitive and more relevant on the national stage in 2024 for football and men's basketball than the ACC or put them closer to the Big Ten or the SEC? No, that is not the answer. And if that's what your expectation is, I think the thinking with with that particular mindset is just a little bit flawed because when you add a team from the G5 level, the expectation is not that they will bring immediate value, though there can be some, right? If and hopefully when the Pac-12 adds San Diego State, their men's basketball team and their program is immediately going to be able to compete in the Pac-12. They're going to be one of the top teams in the conference. At the very least, I would say top five, maybe even top four or three if the chips are falling right for them. And going into a Power 5 conference certainly suggests that that would do nothing but help them on the recruiting front. And they're recruiting very well in the transfer portal anyway. So is SMU on the football front. But so when you bring those sorts of teams into your conference, it's almost always done out of necessity, right? Look at the Big 12. So the Big 12 brings in a couple of years ago, a year and a half. I don't even remember the timeline and such. Everything blurs together. They bring in Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU. Were they going to do that before Texas and OU left? No. They made a move to keep them going in the short run, but that what they hope will become successful Power 5 brands in the long run. 
And since that announcement, Cincinnati has made a college football playoff. Looks like a good addition. UCF has had good years. BYU's had good teams. Houston has had some solid seasons. I think UCF and Cincinnati are the most poised to contribute early in the football sense. But when you add those programs, it's because you've been back down into that position and you don't have a whole lot of other options available to you. But it doesn't mean that there isn't real upside there. Now, the downside is that when you add those schools, they cut into the media rights deal because usually they're not able to pull their own weight. But it's important to remember that anytime you add a G5 school, and this has been true across the board, I'm almost certain it's the case in the Big 12. I know it was in the Pac-12 when Utah went from the Mountain West to the Pac-12. They are not going to earn a full media rights share when they first get into the conference, right? There's a path there so that they can build up a a following, build up a brand, build up a reputation that makes them a more appealing television product and allows them to more easily pull their weight. So Utah, for instance, in the Pac-12, when they were added back in 2011, they were coming from the G5 level. They'd been very successful there, right? Like Cincinnati has been at the G5 level. They've done a really good job of operating a high-level G5 football program, parlayed that and a number of other factors into a Power 5 invitation. So when Utah first joined, they were not earning a full share. They do now. And when you look at the TV numbers that Utah generates now, they're in the middle of the conference. They're not at the bottom. But no one's suggesting that the teams that are at the bottom in terms of TV viewership, and Utah's not at the top, but they're not at the bottom. No one's suggesting the teams that are below them shouldn't be getting an equal share or that they're not providing value to the conference, right? This sort of stuff can fluctuate all the time because programs have good years and bad years and good stretches and bad stretches and whatnot. But when you're looking at these G5 institutions, you are playing a bit of a long game because you are banking on them developing into something that can become more reputable within the conference where they can be a top 25 caliber program where they can be a high level program that wins conference championships, for instance. And by the way, I be, I am of the belief that San Diego state and SMU could both develop into conference champion caliber programs one day. I think that's absolutely possible for both of those schools. So that's the first part of it is you have to look at what they can be, not just what they are now. It's not a perfect addition. It's not as strong as adding USC and UCLA, But the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are not in positions of power. They are in positions of need. And you would rather add those schools and say, okay, I understand there are some drawbacks here. What if they never get their footing and, you know, compete in a big way or win any championships or anything like that? What if they don't, you know, become a big television draw? I think that downside is not enough for me to look at and say, okay, yeah, you just shouldn't add them. You should just stick with the 10 teams that you have left. Everybody else is at 12 or more teams. There's a reason. And I think from you know a content and programming and competitiveness standpoint, you need to have at least 12 teams in your conference. You don't want to be the one that's hanging out there with, with, with just 10 in all this realignment shuffle and such. But the, the other factor that, that comes into play here when, when you're talking about adding these schools is where are they located and what else can they bring? So for San Diego State and SMU, They bring things to the conference, potentially, that you can't always quantify as a sports fan, but that university presidents absolutely can, and that media executives can. So Southern California is a really, really 
popular area. There are a lot of people there. It's a great television market. They've got great demographic numbers and everything like that. If you have a university down there, the the notion that they're going to have the same level of support now, which is pretty high, by the way, now for their sports as they will in five years in the Pac-12, I don't subscribe to that particular notion, right? If you generate buzz, you generate momentum, you have some big games, you give them a good product, it, people are going to show up in greater numbers. So that's the other way that these schools can kind of overcome those potential downsides is they bring something geographically to the table. And then there are the academic considerations and whatnot. And both schools pass the smell test for, for Pac-12 presidents and their standards and whatnot. But San Diego State, Southern California, SMU, state of Texas. Just the idea of being in those places, right? There, there are hubs of, you know, humans, literally. But, you know, certain populations or areas of the country where you would just like to be. And no, SMU is not a big football brand right now in the state of Texas compared to other schools in the state. But there's a school that you should always think about when discussing, you know, can they emerge as a as a well-respected brand in, in the state of Texas that has a fantastic season? There's a really, really obvious answer there. And there's an obvious answer to the question, should you go check out bird dogs? That answer is, of course, yet yeah, because yes, because summer is basically here. I mean, it's still May, so maybe some places it's more summery than others. I live in the state of Utah. It feels like summer here. And Bird Dog Shorts are the one-stop shop for your summer needs. They fit great. They look great. They're super comfortable. And their versatility is maybe their best component. You could wear them swimming. You could wear them out on a date. You could wear them on a hike. You could wear them for a summer barbecue. You could just wear them around the house, wear them to bed, wear them whenever you want. That's what makes them so, so great and they are the perfect outdoor summer shorts for all of your favorite activities go to birddogs.com slash locked on college when you enter promo code locked on college they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs yeti style tumbler with every order that's birddogs.com slash locked on college when you enter promo code locked on college they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs yeti style tumbler with every single order go get your next pair today you will not regret it okay so the school that I was thinking of is TCU. Now, back in 2000 and I think it was uh, eight, seven, something like that, TCU played in the Fiesta Bowl. And TCU at the time was in, they might have just joined the Big 12. But let's just think about TCU right now. TCU just played in the national championship game. Would you have said that that was possible? that that was something that was going to happen imminently when they first joined from the Mountain West, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the anti-G5 crowd would say no. And so, yes, it is a long-term play in that sense, but the Pac-12 doesn't have any other options. Now, they might not have a long enough time period to allow San Diego State and SMU to potentially get to that level. But if you're the Pac-12, if you're George Klyovkov, you have to operate as if you are Right. You can recognize the landscape, but it's your job to try and keep the conference together, to run it as best you can, get the best media deal possible and create the most compelling uh, television product and competitive league in every sport that you can. That's what your job is. So 
TCU, once upon a time, Utah has knocked on the door of the college football playoff before. TCU was just in the national championship game. Those schools both came from the G5 level. And we're going to see what Cincinnati will do right after they made the college football playoff as a G5 team. What can they do in in the Big 12? Again, it's it's not as much of a power play as you know the SEC getting Oklahoma and Texas, the Big 10 getting USC and UCLA. But those sorts of options are very clearly not available to the Big 12 and the Pac-12 right now. So as a result, you have to make the best of a bad and difficult situation. And I think finding the right schools, the way the Big 12 did and the way the Pac-12 has the opportunity to do, is the right way forward for the conference. Because you have to think about what, and by the way, TCU took that long to get to a national championship game. They had some fantastic seasons. They're one of the biggest football brands in the, in, in, in the state of Texas, easily, right? It's and, and by the way, the TV numbers back that up. They're very, very strong for being a small, private Christian school. Pretty sure they're private. But Texas is up there. Texas A&M certainly is up there. I mean, it's 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 kind of TCU. I'm trying to think if I'm missing anybody right now, but there's so many schools in the state of Texas, and the potential for growth is very, very real if you have a university that's got the money, that's got the commitment, that's got the culture to be able to succeed, which I think SMU does. And here's the other factor that you have to consider that somehow just went out of my head as I voiced that uh, particular thought, but it just came back to me, so here we go. This is the era of the transfer portal. So you are now much more easily and much more quickly able to get your roster up to speed and on at least a similar level to your new Power 5 counterparts. That is much easier in today's world than it was And we've seen teams make the jump and have a lot of success pre-portal. Do you know who has a top 10 transfer portal class in in the 2023 cycle? SMU. You know who's pulled in some Power 5 transfers this year? San Diego State. They're not even in the Pac-12 yet. I understand the league's brand will take a hit when USC and UCLA leave. But if they're able to get the media deal together, keep everything intact, at San Diego State and SMU, it's still going to be viewed as a Power 5 conference because the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 just won't be that different, and you'll have the Big 10 and the SEC pulling away from everybody. But it will still have the sort of pedigree to where you will have access at either of those schools to a higher caliber player. And then the way that the portal works now, you could find a really, really solid roster, I think, pretty darn quickly. And these are schools that have already been able to you know, show themselves capable of building those sorts of teams. SMU, curious to see what they do this year in, in the American without Cincinnati, Houston, and uh, UCF. And the, I think they'll be one of the favorites in there. And San Diego State, after a down year, but when they've had good years, they can beat Pac-12 teams as is. So, of course, they could contend with and beat Pac-12 teams once they once they join the conference, get some more money, get better reputation, higher pedigree, all that sort of stuff. So, that's my spiel on the uh, uh, San Diego State SMU sort of uh, angle here in, in realignment. Next question here comes from Bud. Mailbag, if the Big Ten expanded to have six teams in the West, how likely would it be to have those teams, Pac-6, technically, I don't know if the Pac-12 would be alive at that point, play each other in football each year, like leaving only two road games 
are likely leaving only two road games back east. And would cold weather in the east and Midwest be a factor when those games are scheduled? So that would be up to the Big Ten Conference and how they want how they would want to determine that. But let's take Bud's hypothetical here, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility one day. Right now, doesn't seem super likely. But could the Big Ten one day come for Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Washington? Absolutely. Would they all jump? Probably. Oregon and Washington, almost certainly Stanford and Cal. I suspect that answer is also yes. So if they were to do that, I don't think you would have to guarantee that they all play each other every year, but there would be some inherent level of matching them up pretty regularly in every sport. Because the reason, right, and Michael Schill, Oregon's former president, as we mentioned on yesterday's show, you know, he's now the president at Northwestern and raised concerns about the travel component, which was like, the initial takeaway, like it felt like a July comment of 2022, but he was making it not long ago. And I, I think is in the mindset of, yeah, I think we should add more West Coast schools one day. So if they do that, part of the reason they'd be doing that would be to lessen the travel on the student athletes. So, yeah, I think those matchups would be pretty regular. I don't know that they would all play each other because then you run into limitations as a conference of what sort of some matchups you can schedule. Right. So if, if you ensure if you were to ensure every year that those six schools played each other as five of their nine conference games, you now only have four left, two at home and two on the road. And so you you could miss an opportunity to, you know, for everyone to kind of play everybody in, uh, you know, the, the scheduling models get uh, described in different ways. There's like a three, six, six sort of deal. It, it, it's a big, complicated web and everything like that. but. If they, you know, required that the six schools out West would all play each other every year, then you would only have, you know, so many games you could schedule against everybody else. And maybe they're okay with that, but you want Oregon to play, like, if you had all those schools, you want Oregon to play Ohio State and you want Oregon to play Michigan and you what, but suddenly you're running out of options here, right? So it would depend on what their priorities are. If they want to just create the best matchups, you're going to involve Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA more than uh, Cal and Stanford in this hypothetical with, with your big brands in the Big Ten, right? Your Michigans, your Ohio States, your Penn States. So you would be able to limit the travel and not make it so severe, but I feel like they would probably guarantee that they'd play three or four of the other programs for each school, right? So between Oregon and Washington, Stanford, Cal, USC, UCLA, I think the Big Ten would likely ensure that you have at least three or four matchups of those other schools, but they want, they, they'd want to try and, you know, and it's a complicated ordeal to set a conference football schedule. They're playing around with time zones. They're playing around with matchups. They're playing around with, you know, when you can kick games off. But, you know, the the ability for a West Coast team to go all the way to Penn State, Maryland, or Rutgers, like, are, are you going to send USC to go across the country to play Rutgers? Maybe. But Does it seem like the best use of USC's time? Because you're not going to schedule, again, if you're adding those schools, you're trying to limit the travel. So you're saying, okay, we're only going to make you go, you know, all the way across the country so many times. Is it the best use of their time for USC to go all the way there? Probably not, right? They want to put USC, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State on television as much as possible. And then Oregon and Washington, UCLA, they, they would fall into that 
kind of second tier, I think, of uh, scheduling priority. So fascinating question, though. Um, and the, the other part of it is, would cold weather in the East and Midwest be a factor when those games are scheduled? No, I don't think so. I mean, we're seeing that kind of play out with this whole Big Ten debacle right now. But on the whole, I think if you're a conference setting a schedule, your priority is to maximize television viewership and create interesting matchups. And you are not overly concerned about, well, those California kids are going to have to go. There are kids from California on every single roster in in the Big Ten and in the Pac-12, right? So kids who are used to warm weather are going to play in cold weather games. Like they're football players. They'll, they're they're going to be fine. They'll figure it out. So I don't think that would be a, a major, major factor of like, oh, we don't want USC to go and play uh, – and, and, and play Minnesota because it gets too cold up there. Like they would schedule that matchup if they felt it was worthwhile and beneficial to their, their TV viewership. That, that's what their determining factor will be. Okay, let's talk about this Washington State hiring freeze uh, for a couple of minutes to wrap up today's show. So according to Brett McMurphy of the Action Network, Washington State President Kirk Schultz says Wazoo Athletics will have a, quote, temporary freeze on all current and future vacant positions until further review, as well as a pause on non-essential travel, purchases, and new professional development because of, quote, significant decreases in Pac-12 revenue distribution as a result of overpayments from one of the conference media partners that must be resolved. Relocation of the Pac-12 headquarters out of San Francisco exceeded budget projections as well. Additionally, Wazoo projects that Cougar Athletics exceeded its expenditures for the year due to inadequate documentation of revenues and expenses. End report. Okay, what does all of that mean? So we talked about the Comcast overpayments a while ago here on the show. And my takeaway was, this is not going to be great, but... Pac-12 schools have been getting more money than they should have been. So now they're going to get less money than they would have if this whole ordeal hadn't happened where Larry Scott demanded uh, or requested or ran, whatever you want to call it, an internal review of the numbers because they thought that Comcast was underselling them or was underpaying them. Turns out Comcast might've been overpaying them. They disagreed again. They went back and forth, yada, yada, yada. Comcast was overpaying for 5 million over 10 years. So that $50 million has to be repaid. And the conference is now figuring out how to do that. So the way that this reads to me, the the key line in this tweet from uh, Brett McMurphy, and this is just I I think important to understand here is the last sentence, right? The first thing they put is, well, this is on the conference. They moved their headquarters and they were, you know, getting the overpayments and this is a mess and all that sort of stuff. Then you notice the last line in here, which I'm going to read again. Additionally, Wazoo projects that Cougar Athletics exceeded its expenditures for the year due to inadequate documentation of revenues and expenses. And the president announced that they're going to be looking into that sort of stuff and seeing how it all went down. Here's a takeaway here, at least in my view. Washington State is not one of the most cash flush schools in the Pac-12. In fact, they're one of the least cash flush schools in the Pac-12. And they got out over their skis. They are having internal issues financially, and they are attempting to kind of put it on the conference so that they don't look so bad, right? It's, hey, 
we went overboard and we have huge financial issues in our department right now. And there's this story in the Pac-12 that we could kind of parlay into creating some uh, more positive momentum or make the or kind of soften the blow of this particular story. That's how it reads to me is that they're using that as cover for issues within their own athletic department of, yeah, we, we didn't have our revenues and expenses allocated correctly. We are way over budget and now we have this shortfall. The Pac-12 situation may be worsening that particular dynamic, but did you notice how nobody else in the conference, to my knowledge, has released anything like this? So some people saw it and said, oh, yeah, see, the Pac-12 is a complete and utter mess. No, 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 no. This is a Washington State problem that they are trying to duck and cover from because I don't see anybody else in the conference saying that the overpayments from uh, from Comcast over the years that now have to be paid back, which is Larry Scott's debacle, not George Klyovkov's, I don't see anybody else saying, hey, we now can't hire anybody and we have financial issues because of what is happening at the conference and they relocated their offices and everything. I just see it happening at Washington State. And again, this is not, you know, some massive indictment of the universities of, of a whole. They are or as a whole. They are not the first school to get over their skis when you're talking about revenues and expenditures in, in, in athletics as a university. They won't be the last one. They just happen to be a current one. And they have this thing that they can kind of brush it off on of, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's this thing's fault over here. I think that was a pretty carefully crafted statement and very carefully crafted wording from from Washington State and President Schultz because he's you know saying that you know it's because of this over here but like the issues would have existed I I, I get the sense that the financial issues here within the Washington State Athletic Department would have existed whether or not this Comcast overpayments became a problem or not and this is now exacerbating the issue right. Like it's an 80-20 balance is just kind of my guess of Washington State's fault, Pac-12's fault. Because nobody else is announcing that they can't hire anybody because they can't afford to pay them because they don't have any money. It's just Washington State that's doing that. That is, you know, not one of the, the, the more wealthy schools in the conference. So frankly, this isn't all that surprising. And by the way, a school that they are often paired with, you know, whether you're talking financially, geographically, or reputation-wise on the football field, Oregon State. I didn't notice Oregon State putting out these same sorts of announcements, probably because they don't have the same sorts of internal issues. So is this a is this a story for Washington State? Absolutely. Is this an indictment on the Pac-12 and the current situation? Everything's just a disaster? No. This is, to me, a Washington State problem that they have fundamentally created and they're trying to find some cover for it which makes sense like you're, you're trying to run positive pr at all points in time as a university so i of course get why they're doing that but i don't think because it doesn't appear to be materially impacting anybody else it's just them i think they've got their own problems appreciate everyone listening i will see you next time and until then hope you have a wonderful rest of your day